0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail. This week I'm talking with Michael Sharon, who's the co-founder and CEO of Tyka, which makes a coffee drink that has a lot of stuff in it. We're gonna I'm gonna talk about the beverage his company makes and the overall CPG space for new startups. Anyway, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Kale. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, uh, why don't you just give a rundown of what Tyka is?
1: Sure. Well, uh, Taika is coffee that accentuates reality. It's a blend of the highest quality uh, premium craft coffee, uh, along with some proprietary adaptogens, so herbs and functional mushrooms, uh, which leaves you feeling awake, aware, and inspired.
0: So what's the story behind What made you say, I'm going to take coffee, which, you know, makes me not tired, and I'm going to add these adaptogens to it?
1: You know, it, it, it's a little bit of a, a longer story,
0: um,
1: <laughs> but really, so the, the kind of the concept behind Tyker the company, and Tyker the drink, uh, is that Tyker is kind of one of the world's first stealth health brands, um, and our mission is to really help people effortlessly live healthier lives. We do this by taking uh, CPG products that many people consume many billions of times around the world every single day, and redesigning them. To be absolutely delicious and then authentically healthy for you. So how do we come up with this and, and, and where did this all come from? Um, so really the, this came from kind of a, a, a deep desire, uh, to take amazing, uh, coffee. Uh, and then, you know, my co-founder and I like really didn't like the way the coffee made us feel. And so, um, let's, let's actually like rewind a little bit. So my background is in, technology, I spent many years working at uh, technology companies Um, and kind of uh, about 12 years ago uh, I was working uh, like a high-stress tech job, Uh, I was working at Facebook and I was drinking a lot of coffee. Uh, And as as part of this kind of exercise of drinking a lot of coffee, I I tried, you know, just a a little experiment uh, along the way and that little experiment was to stop putting sugar in my tea and coffee that I was drinking. Uh, now I, I grew up in South Africa and growing up in South Africa, basically the only way you can drink hot beverages is by putting five spoons of sugar in it. And <laughs> only then is it sort of safe to drink. Uh, and so I don't really even remember why I stopped doing this but I think I was just, you know, trying to do something different. Um, and then as soon as I did that, it, it's sort of like a light bulb moment. Like basically like I was able to really taste the difference between this sort of like terrible deli coffee that I was drinking and like actually amazing third wave coffee. Uh, and so as soon as that happened, I became the world's biggest coffee snob uh, and then started, you know, telling my friends about how they are brewing it wrong and what they need to be doing. And everybody loved me for that. There's always one in, in, in some group. Of friends. I,
0: I'm actually that person with my friends.
1: Uh. Oh, phenomenal. Phenomenal. We're, we'll get on really well. Uh, yeah. And, and then because I was drinking that much coffee, uh, I was also feeling the effects uh, and so I would be drinking, you know, like three or four coffees a day. And that's just like way too much caffeine. Um, and so like any good product nerd, I went onto the Internet and discovered that there's a whole lot of these fascinating uh, compounds like adaptogens, functional mushrooms, which help mitigate the effects of the caffeine. Um, and one of the first ones that I, I started taking on a daily basis was called L-theanine. So I don't know if you've heard of L-theanine, um, but if you've had tea at all in any way, then you've had L-theanine. Uh, the name itself means uh, it comes from uh, tea. So basically, it's naturally present in tea leaves. Uh, and what it does is it, it mitigates the effects of the caffeine. So you never kind of feel like tweaky. So you never feel like you've had like way too much coffee. Um, the thing is uh, L-theanine is not naturally present in coffee beans. And so if you take L-theanine and drink coffee, you have this amazing sort of like calming focused effect that you get when you just drink tea. And then you also have kind of the stimulation that people crave and people love with coffee. And so this, this all started kind of like coming together uh, around two years ago, just over two years ago when I met my co-founder, Cal. Cal uh, is kind of brilliant. He's like one of the best baristas in the world, kind of world champion, won all sorts of competitions by the time he was 21. And then, you know, running a coffee shop in Helsinki, he realized that, you know, to really like scale out coffee, to really kind of get coffee to a lot more people, um, you need to start some kind of company to like get it out mm-hmm. there. So he moved to Silicon Valley and kicked off the super high quality instant coffee movement with his first company called Sudden Coffee. Uh, and then I met him when he he left that company and was kind of like working on his next idea. Uh, and so for me, I was fascinated by coffee and fascinated by getting people to drink better coffee Um, and Cal was this guy who like knew how to like create better coffee at scale Uh, and then we connected around this idea of taking these uh, adaptogens and functional mushrooms and putting them into this like really convenient ready-to-drink package that we could just like hand to our friends and all they needed to do was kind of like you know crack the lid and, and sip it down and they'd get all the benefits.
0: Wow. There's a lot there. Um, one thing I've always want to know, and I'm, I feel like there's an influx of different products nowadays that say that they have uh, certain things like adaptogens, etc. So it always struck me that v- vague words that say that they're good for you are some kind of buzzword. So walk me through why isn't adaptogen not a buzzword that just means uh, an additive?
1: Yeah, that, that is an excellent point. Um, so there's, there's a whole lot of buzzwords that have been floating around the space for many, many years. And when we were starting to work on, uh, the coffee, we kind of look, looked at what was out there. Uh, and you may have heard some of these terms before, like nootropics, where people mm-hmm. talk about a term like nootropics. And nootropics in many ways is a sort of like all encompassing term, which means everything. It means, yeah. you know, stimulants. It means relaxants. It basically means anything that it can affect your brain in some way. Um, and when we thought about how we were going to be communicating about the coffee and who we wanted to actually reach, who our, who our target market was, it was far more of a mainstream audience. And so the, the nootropics has sort of been adopted by biohackers over the last like 15 to 20 years. And the word uh, kind of adaptogen kind of refers to generally plants uh, and it refers to kind of generally plants which uh, have grown in like really harsh environments, really harsh climates. And so they've had to adapt to their environment uh, and to survive. And then when you take the, that plant out of the environment, you grind it up, you powder it, and then you ingest it as a human. Uh, the idea is that it's going to help you adapt to your environment. And typically by regulating kind of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Um, and so adaptogens are, are sort of a, a non, have a non-specific method of action in that if you are stressed, if you have the right adaptogens, they will lower uh, your stress. And then there's other adaptogens where if you're sort of like feeling a little bit lethargic, you can take some and they will sort of like lift you up. So they're sort of like regulate uh, your mood. And then, you know, adaptogens is also like uh, a word that we felt um, was growing in currency and growing in popularity and didn't have any of the baggage that is associated with sort of like, you know, the biohacker bros, um, Mm -hmm. and the, the nootropics bros. Uh, and, uh, it it was also like, it's also another sort of expansive term. And so adaptogens generally means plants, uh, but it has been expanded to include things like functional mushrooms. And so people don't think about this a lot, but plants and mushrooms are actually like completely different animals, like completely different kingdoms. And so they're, they're completely different things. And so we, when we're thinking about taika and how to communicate it and how to kind of, you know, have it appeal to a more mainstream audience, um, we really wanted to to start thinking about, like, what is the term uh, that would include not just the, the herbs that we are putting into the coffee, but also the functional mushrooms, which it really also provide a lot of the health benefits within the, the
0: product. I want to go into product development and how you were able to come up with your formula. But the real the question that I'm sort of really interested in is, So, Taika comes in a can, is that correct?
1: 100%, yes.
0: So, when you were thinking about this product, were you thinking about, like, say, in Japan, where canned coffee is very, very popular? Was that the kind of consumption pattern you were going for? Or are you going, who is your sort of target audience in terms of what their needs were, what moment they are in the day, in in terms of how you decided to make the actual liquid and then put that into a can?
1: Great question. So how we decided to make the actual liquid is um Kel and I were introduced to the through mutual friends at a coffee shop just around two and a half years ago. Uh, you know, we had a we had a single meeting, we it was like a half-hour meeting that turned into like one of these three hour jam sessions. We talked about everything and anything. And then at the end of that meeting, we didn't really know what we wanted to work on. But I knew <laughs> I I wanted to work with him and you know, this is a kindred soul. Um, and so we spent the next sort of like two months just throwing out all sorts of different crazy ideas and, you know, tech, coffee, we were going to make a machine at some stage. There was every single idea was kind of on the table. Uh, and then at some point we realized that we wanted people to, you know, most coffee in the world uh, and most of the ways coffee is, is marketed is focused on the origin. Is like, where does this thing come from? Is it uh, from Honduras? Is it from Guatemala? But, you know, the weird thing is that these are just sort of like marketing labels and definitions. 99.999% of people in the world cannot tell the difference between a Guatemala and a Honduras and do not even understand the variances. And so they're just p- picking, you know, A or B. And so for us, we realized that coffee is one of the original functional beverages. It makes you feel different. And we instead wanted to focus on a, a, a destination. Uh, how does the coffee make you feel? How's it gonna make you feel after you drink it, after you consume it? Um, and so that was sort of like the rough idea and the rough framework for the company. Um, in terms of form factor, uh, it's interesting, we actually just moved into a new office here in San Francisco and I found some like ancient, ancient things. This is uh, this is sort of like one of the very first things we had, we made it with. And you can see, you know, in terms of the form factor, we basically started making things in my kitchen um, and very quickly realized that we had to kind of like put it into a format that was much more easily accessible. So we so ended for, up working... So just to interrupt,
0: uh, he oh. was showing me a clear bottle. It was like a clear water bottle-like thing, just so for, for those listening in.
1: Uh, yeah. So this is like a clear plastic bottle. Uh, the, the brand of the company was called Spark Coffee, the brand of the The, the name of the coffee was called Boost. And because we were, you know, very tech focused and my background is technology, we're all about iteration. This is version 0.1. And we even gave it sort of uh, its own code name, which was Cooper. So we made kind of all the classic mistakes in software development (laughs) right here from the beginning. Um, but we knew that we, you know, we, we knew we wanted to iterate really, really quickly. And we knew also wanted to like create something that people wouldn't have to question. And we, there was a small co-packer uh, out here in Oakland, uh, and they were willing to let us do like sort of these crazy small production runs, whereas with Beverage, usually you have to do like hundreds of thousands of units as a production run. Um, and they were, they were willing to do things for us as low as like 500 units. And so we made, you know, the first batch of 500 cans, um, and we slapped kind of like Kel's phone number on the front and took it to this startup in San Francisco where we were friends. And basically like they just without question were like oh of course this is coffee in a can it's amazing let's let's just <laughs> drink it and they, they just consumed it within two weeks um, and so that was the point where we were like okay I think there may be something here and it's also really important to think about the the packaging and who you're trying to appeal to and so for us in the early days and you can see that this this is called boost uh, in the early days we were like you know what we are going to make a drink for every time of day. So in the morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to have the boost. It's going to have, you know, a special adaption blend that's going to give you, you know, energy for hours. In the afternoon, we're going to make something called focus. And then the evening, we're going to make something called chill. Um And that was kind of the original like vision for the company is a beverage for sort of like every kind of use occasion that you may want to have. Uh, and broadly, when we started off, we were appealing to sort of like twenty five to forty four tech workers uh, in in San Francisco, and then you know we just sort of like iterated and iterated from there.
0: Got it. This sort of gets into it a little bit, but you started very, very small with your co packer, only a few hundred. Talk to me about the sort of scale and distribution strategy who who How did you first get the product into the hands of not necessarily beta testers but actual c- customers?
1: Uh, totally. Yeah. So we had, well, we actually like beta tested for the first like year and a half of our existence. And so we, we knew we wanted to work on iteration a lot. And, and as I said, my, my background is in technology. Um, at Facebook, I worked a lot on sort of the AB testing systems that we used, And so we were obsessed with like AB testing, sort of everything. And because we had this copacker packer that was letting us do these, like actually stupidly more production runs, they were definitely losing money on us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were basically like selling out of coffee kind of every two weeks, making new batches of coffee every three weeks, and then kind of like tweaking the label design, tweaking the branding, tweaking the flavors, all based on feedback and and input uh, from people that were beta testing it. And while we were doing this, uh, we were also selling our coffee to more and more startups in the Bay Area. And so for us, this was just this, like we had no idea why why everybody wasn't doing this. It was just phenomenal because we were getting paid to beta test and develop the product. We were getting paid to build out the distribution and we were getting paid to build out the brand. Um, and so we were like, this is amazing. We we don't even care about any, you know, any of the other categories that people are going into. We're gonna scale by putting this into every kind of like company's fridge kind of across America. And of course, that strategy worked really, really well right up until COVID. Yeah. Um, and so the beginning of COVID, when everybody went home, um, we sort of lost 100% of our revenue from there. And, you know, just a little bit beforehand and, and around that time, we had started, you know, thinking about how we wanted to take this consumer product and really put it where consumers are. And so we, we'd we started talking to retailers. Uh, we'd just gotten into kind of some of the premium retailers in San Francisco, like BuyRide Grocery. Uh, and then we were thinking about kind of a, a DTC launch. Um, and so, but as as COVID hit, that just really accelerated things. And so we had to pivot like overnight to, from this sort of like B2B food service brand where we were used to getting orders from companies for like, oh, just you know get us 20 cases of coffee and just like stock the fridges and it'll be fine. That was like one customer. We had yeah. no idea how good we had it because we switched. And, and, and luckily at the beginning of COVID, um, Cal and, and the team had just put together this uh, uh, partnership where we basically had warehouses in New York, San Francisco, and LA. And we were able to deliver products by then just handing it over to our Postmates. So we did local delivery in each of those three markets. And so uh, at the beginning of pandemic, people would just look at the can because the can has this you know big phone number on the front. It's sort of like really easy to get hold of us. And so they would text us and then we would just start delivering directly to their homes instead of the startup offices. Um, and that really is a thing that, that sort of like saved us and gave us uh, a foundation to then get to our launch, which, which happened in May. Uh, and, and when we launched, we launched the, the full DTC website. So what you, it wasn't just kind of like texting us to get the coffee, you went onto the website to order it. Uh, and then we were also available in uh, all five locations of Erwan down in LA. All
0: right, we're gonna take a quick break right now. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor give me some sense how many people actually texted you like w- w- in the beginning did, like what like what kind of sort of w- response did that actually see because i've always heard people say that but i'm like i've I've never thought about seeing a note, phone number on my can and then actually texting it but people did and that that actually helped w- w- with the launch with the dtc launch
1: oh yeah 100 percent um and so we we had we had sort of i don't know we had thousands of people that were texting us from our startup days and so the 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 text is interesting because it's sort of you know, we we definitely weren't the first to put a phone number on the can. Um mm-hmm. but the way we think about it is it's not about being transactional. So when we first did it, like right at the beginning in like January twenty nineteen, it was Kel's actual phone number on the can because we were, you know, we're going to a lot of his friends and like my friends that had companies. And so it was also it was it was like one of the things that we say about the brand, one of the, one of the kind of the, the mottos that we like to live by is made for friends by friends. And so we were like, okay, cool. We can trust friends with our phone number. Let's just see what happens. And this is this is the, it was the only way to get hold of us at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was the only way to text us. And so we were, we got feedback through that number, and we got reorders through that number. Um, then, as you know, we started delivering to more and more offices. We realized that you know people we using it for a very different purpose. They were using it to communicate and connect with us. And, and, we, you know, in the first month, basically, because it was Kel's personal phone number, I got super jealous because he was sitting there getting these like dopamine hits from like people texting him all the time and it was just like responding to them. And I'd be like, uh, what are they saying? Like, like, you know, peering over his shoulder. And so, you know, after a month, we switched to the shared number that we have now, uh, which is sort of a shared inbox. Uh, and then, you know, just, Later on, we started realizing that people weren't, like nobody, people didn't care that much about reordering through text, but people cared about communicating. People cared about, you know, talking to us. People cared about kind of like the weird things that we would say. And so we, we realized that this was eventually like not about being transactional. This is about being transparent, direct, and being about kind of extension of the brand. This is a brand experience touch point for us more than anything. And when people text us, uh, we have a combination of kind of technology that we wrote ourselves as well as some very, very smart and funny humans um, that will then respond and entertain you and, you know, exchange pictures and gifts and kind of wherever else people want the conversation to go. And so that, that really did help us um, as we got up to launch. And then since launch, you know, we've also had thousands and thousands of people text us. It's, it's got to be like a friend texting you. Um, and especially what we saw during, during COVID is, you know, people are like stuck at home. People are like a lot more bored and lonely. And if you provide them with some kind of entertainment, if you provide them with some kind of thing, they really of respond very, very well to it. Um, and so Cal calls this uh, scalable hospitality where if you think about it, you go into a, a coffee shop, like a, a local coffee shop, like in person, you know, in the before times, and you would, you know, make friends with your barista. And you would chat to them, they would tell you a little bit about their day, you would tell them about what's what's exciting, what's going on, uh, and then, you know, they'd make you this delicious latte or whatever you're having, and they'd say goodbye, and you'd have that little slice of humanity to kind of like connect you and give you hospitality in that moment in your day. Uh, and what we're trying to do is extend that out and scale that out. Uh, and so scalable hospitality is basically like the, the reason and um, for why we have the phone number and what we're going to continue doing with it in the future.
0: You know, SMS texting has been around for a while. I'd be interested just to hear, like, I think now specifically, because there is going to be with what's coming up with iOS 4, what's here with iOS 14, what's coming up with Google Sandbox, all of these sort of privacy plays, having a, a customer's phone number is so important. So do you, are you tweaking sort of how you interact as a result of that? Or do you still view it as this very much more conversational sort of retention play rather than promotional play?
1: So, yeah, e- excellent question. Um, we're not tweaking what we do as a result of that because the way we started and what we do from the beginning has been different. So whereas, whereas most brands kind of like text you to ask you for the, the mm-hmm. permission to, to spam them, we have people texting us. We never proactively send a text message to a consumer. We're not trying to harvest their number. We're trying to have a conversation with them. Um, We do ask them for permission. So we will kind of do some promotion with this number, with this experience. Um, but for us, it's, it's such a high value, high signal channel. When you think about the, the kinds of channels that are available to communicate with consumers, um, there was sort of this craze a couple of years ago where every single brand and, you know, their cousin was building an app. Yeah. Why were they building an app? Because they get access to notifications on the device and like push notifications on your iOS, on your Android. That's, you know, that's the Holy grail. Well, guess what? You know, most people have uh, notifications turned on by default for SMS and they do not want to turn it off. So this is one of the highest value, highest signal channels you can have. And what we don't want to do is abuse it and send people like a 20% discount code like every two days. Because, you know, if you had a friend that sent you a 20% discount code to the same shop every two days, you know, you'd block them or you would just unfriend them or just ask them to mm-hmm. knock it off. And so as a brand, it's even more important to think about the relationship that you want to have with the consumer and be able to communicate the right kinds of things to them. And so for us, uh, as a brand, we have many, many more people texting us than we have, for example, even on our email list or following us on Instagram. Um, we have these crazy, super high engagement conversations with people uh, where people are texting us for like over a year uh, we have people that have been texting us on a daily basis for like months at a time um, and like that is such a valuable channel that we want to hold on to so we do a few things differently and and one of the things that we do differently for example is we don't interject with uh, a message about promotions immediately like the first message back from many brands that you will connect with is like hey is it okay for us to like spam you yes no and if you say no, then, you know, whatever, it's over. Um, but for us, people are texting us, and so we're having a conversation. And so within the first 24 hours, we let that conversation happen. And then after that, um, we send out the kind of the, the message that's required for um, the permission. Uh, and the vast majority of people have never texted us stop. So we have a, kind of a, like a less than 1% unsubscribe rate on our SMS hotline, uh, which is pretty high because we're also... You know, obviously, if we start to do some of the promotional activities that we're thinking about, that will probably go up uh but right now we we you know we want to make sure that we continue doing this, but we really respect the channel and we really respect kind of the the trust that people have put in us uh by texting and treating this as a brand as a friend.
0: What percentage of customers would you say interface with the s m s
1: uh it's what percentage of customers
0: yeah, or like um, like Just a a percentage of
1: people who actually buy. Yeah. um, It's, it's pretty high. It's probably in like the 80% range. Wow. Um, There's definitely, there's definitely a bunch of people. So we have, um, we have, we've run a bunch of different experiments. We also have, uh, we, we used to have some notifications, um, like really real time notifications when we did, uh, real-time deliveries within two hours, we would have notifications come through, uh, on SMS and we'd have sort of like little maps where you could see what your delivery was and all of that kind of thing. Uh, and then post delivery, we would have a survey that gets sent out through SMS where people just have to respond sort of like one to five to let us know what the experience was like. Uh, and we have, if people aren't texting us directly and talking to us, then they're responding to some of those kinds of things as well. Got it.
0: So let's go into sort of the last year because you mentioned B two B sales plummeted. Then you sort of shifted more to DTC, had your launch. How has the last year been? And so what are you, what's your predominant channel? Are you mostly selling DTC now, or you mentioned some retail relationships uh, on the west coast? Sort of what's the makeup now, and how has that grown?
1: Great question. The last year has been uh, kind of uh, insane for us because. <laughs> Uh, a lot of things changed. A lot of things changed in terms. I think for for everybody, um, for us, I, I think COVID was actually really good for us in terms of like focusing us on where we need to go and what we need to do. Um, and we we launched officially in uh, May 2020, and it was just two weeks uh, before sort of the kind of the the police protests and all of that stuff. And so just as a as a brand, it was sort of just a, as a new brand. Uh, it was sort of kind of like a weird time, a weird time to know kind of like what to do. Um, but you know, one thing we realized during COVID is that grocery stores, uh, retailers are staying open. Um, DTC is, is still, is still good, but part of the, you, you know, part of what we need to do is really like scale out, uh, DTC aggressively. And we had one big problem with that last year. And the big problem with that was that the coffee that we were making, um, was a refrigerated cold chain coffee. So incredibly high quality coffee. Uh, we did not want to compromise on the beans. We did not want to compromise on the taste. And we did not want to kind of do the things that we thought were needed to make sure that it could survive and be shelf stable. And so we were only delivering to to three areas, and specific zip codes in New York, San Francisco and LA. Um, and so we didn't focus on DTC. We focused more on growing in retail. Uh, we're in over 300 doors in terms of retail. And so we had kind of this awesome sales guy down in LA. Uh, we had another uh, awesome salesperson in New York and then uh, San Francisco. And we basically just grew the number of doors um, fairly aggressively. And so we are a mostly retail brand. And we have kind of like 30, 40% of our sales coming through DTC, I will say one thing though, is the other big thing that we did last year is we realized that we, we really were not gonna be able to scale this brand with this refrigerated cold chain product. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was too delicate. It was amazing and um, phenomenal coffee, uh, but we, we really realized that we needed to become a different kind of company uh, to scale out this brand. Uh, and so we hired a food scientist internally last year. And um, within six months, we put together a shelf-stable uh, coffee that we are now delivering and shipping everywhere. And so this was kind of insane. Like, it takes far, far longer for most companies and most brands uh, to, to make this shift, to make the leap um, from cold chain to shelf-stable. And one of the reasons we, we decided to do it, actually, um, was just, pure cost one of the reasons we hired this food scientist was we went to a whole bunch of companies and they quoted us like you know one year uh like one year lead times for like developing one kind of skew and you know what happens with a lot of these companies is that they own the formulations and mm. they own kind of like all of that ip and they basically they, they give you the skew and then you go off and you produce it and then as a beverage company you just market the crap out of that um, and for us we knew that you know we, we were a stealth health brand we knew that we wanted to kind of like redesign products ourselves and we had this sort of like AB testing iterative DNA uh, inside us. Uh, and so we realized that we could hire this, this food scientist. What we didn't realize was he, he could get done kind of in half, the, less than like half the time because we took all three of our SKUs. So the black coffee, the oat milk latte and the macadamia latte. Uh, and we created amazing tasting shelf stable versions um, that we started shipping to customers in January. Um, and so that was, honestly, I think that was probably one of the biggest changes uh, because since then we've actually completely shifted and recreated our DTC operations. Um, instead of just delivering in New York, San Francisco, and LA, um, we are now delivering and shipping. We're shipping, sorry, nationwide. We have fulfillment center in uh, Nevada, and we're, you know, seeing DTC actually start to take off in a way that we didn't even know was possible. So we've been growing kind of 30% month over month um, since we did this and just really excited to kind of continue growing DTC um, while at the same time kind of doing the this, this slower but sort of like larger like retail rollout.
0: What is your ideal mix in terms of percentage between wholesale and DTC? Do you want to be 50-50 or sort of what, what are you putting, what are you growing more or trying to put more? Emphasis on right now.
1: Um, so what do I what I want to be is you know 100 percent DTC, but yeah, as, that, a bev- yeah. <laughs> as a beverage brand, um, <laughs> it's really hard to scale beverage through DTC. Um, yeah. and, and that's, you know, it's one of the big learnings um, that we we learned last year. It's one of the big things that we've heard from a number of people in the industry. Totally understand why and how. Um, and so I think the the kind of like the long-term mix that we're targeting is sort of like probably like 70-30. Um, What's exciting about kind of the growth that we're seeing in DTC right now is I think DTC... Last year, DTC was about 35% for us. Um, This year, DTC is already, I think, 40% for us. Um, And so I... You know i i want to kind of like push dtc as much as we can obviously because we have much better margins for us on dtc right now and it's also much much easier to move faster and iterate with dtc so i think you know we have a portfolio of like new r d products and ideas that we're working on i think all of those we're going to be launching through dtc um in terms of like scaling out and what we do you know i do think it's a new world but Compared to my background in software, you know, scaling out in software means you turn on another server, suddenly you support a million more people. You know, scaling out in beverage means you need to make a million cans of coffee. You need to work with the right distributors and the right retailers to ship them out to stores where they're going to be available to a million different people. And then you need to do the right kind of like marketing and awareness and sampling work to make sure that people are excited enough about your beverage to buy a million cans of it. And so it's, it's a different uh, kind of beast, but you know, really, really excited to do a lot more of that this year.
0: One more question for you. Um, this has been a really great conversation. Um, you, you've mentioned a few times that you're a stealth health brand. Does that mean that you're going to be getting out of coffee with the new products or sort of wh- where is the product development going?
1: so what what does stealth health actually mean well when we first started making the coffee and we got sold out super super quickly um, we realized that what we had done is made this thing that's like a, a trojan horse uh, it looks like great coffee it tastes like great coffee but it's secretly much much healthier than any other coffee out there and so that like secretly much healthier part we ended up calling stealth health and that sort of like informs everything we do. And and stealth health really isn't isn't tied to coffee, but what stealth health means is that the the product is authentically delicious. It is authentically good for you. So we didn't want to play in the realm of like better for you products. We wanted everything that we make to be good for you. And then thirdly, we wanted to make sure that it fits into your life. And so for for us, uh, coffee is a perfect place to start. Because most coffees on the market out there are just like really, really bad for you. So the number one uh, coffee RTD, ready to drink coffee, is the Starbucks Frappuccino. And one serving of just the the regular Starbucks Frappuccino has 33 grams of sugar in it, which is kind of insane. And so we we knew that if we just made something, if we get people to just prefer our coffee, let's say like our macadamia latte, uh, which is plant-based, has absolutely zero sugar in it, and has these five... Uh, amazing adaptogens and functional mushrooms that people have heard about but really didn't know how to get into their life Uh, if we did that that and people just drank that every single day they would have significant long-term health benefits and so yeah to 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 answer your question right now we're coffee that accentuates reality Uh, i think there are a lot of other categories of cpg products Uh, that we would be excited to get into. Uh, We're going to be a beverage brand for at least the foreseeable future, Um, but I, I don't think we're just going to be sticking to coffee.
0: Got it. All right, Michael, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.